reading this evening is in fact Numbers 22. Numbers 22. We read then, the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moab said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox lifts up, licks up the grass of the field. <coughs> so Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Nahor, Behor, who was at Petor, near the Euphrates River, in his native land. Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt, they cover the face of the land, and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak, official, Balak's officials, go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other officials, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, 
but do only what I tell you. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. <coughs> so he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You've made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not been turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you're displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Anan border at the edge of his territory. Balak said to Balaam, Did not I send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Well, I have come to you now, Balaam replied, but I can't say whatever I please. I must only speak what God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam went with Balak to Kerith Husoth. Balak sacrificed cattle and sheep and gave some to Balaam and the officials who were with him. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to Bamoth Baal, and from there he could see the outskirts of the Israelite camp. Amen. And now I'm talking to a donkey. Um, although some people might say, well, now I'm talking to a cat or... 
now I'm talking to a dog. Um, and maybe that happens on a pretty regular daily basis. Someone said that this is perhaps one of the most extraordinary stories in the whole of the Bible. Um, in Numbers, um, the, the theme of Numbers is paying attention to God, uh, paying very careful attention to God. Remember the, those early stories about the, the cloud um, of fire and the, uh, and, the, and the pillar of cloud that um, God said to the people, uh, when it moves, you move. When it stops, you stop. If it stops for a day, you stop for a day. If it stops for a month, you stop for a month. Um, if it stops for a year, you stop for a year. And when it moves, you move. Um, and I think that this whole idea of being attentive to the direction of God step by step is really important at all times, but particularly important for us as a church at this time. Step by step, discerning the moving of God's spirit, his direction, to wisely walk in his ways. It's ever so easy to miss the point. Balaam is a prophet. Um, in the Old Testament, prophets were called seers. Seers because they saw things. They saw things that people didn't normally see. And, of course, that's very important for this story because Balaam the seer is the one who doesn't see he doesn't see clearly, and that's, um, that's part of the problem. If the people who are supposed to see what God wants you um, to see and hear what God wants you to hear is not seeing and not hearing, um, well, the people of God are in trouble. So it's an extraordinary story, and it begins with not Balaam seeing, but this Moabite king, Balak, seeing. Balak seeing Israel as a great threat, this huge movement of people from e Egypt, some one to two million people, um, like some huge refugee settlement camp. Um, a few years back when there was that huge movement of people from Syria and other places moving through Turkey and, and, and coming to, to Germany, um, th there was considerable feelings of threat at different borders as this huge movement of people uh, were moving through Europe. And, and Balak sees the Israelite community and he feels threatened by this group that might overwhelm them. And he, he calls on Balaam. And he calls on Balaam because he is a seer, because he's a, a special person. And he calls on him in order to pay him to curse the people of Israel. That's obviously part of the remit, part of the job of, of, of a prophet in those days, that they would both um, speak a blessing and they'd speak a curse upon people. Now, we need to remember that Balaam is, is not an Israelite. He's a prophet, but he's not an Israelite. And sometimes God says things to his world and to his people through those who are not perhaps part of the church, part of the people. Sometimes there are prophetic statements and prophetic actions that are made maybe by a journalist or an artist or a filmmaker saying something that needs to be said in a way that perhaps the church has forgotten how to say it. So here is Balaam, and next week we'll see something of his message, but here we see um, his, his methodology. Um, now, what seems plain as we read that story 
is that Balak thinks that Balaam's responses to him are negotiations. Um, I don't know if you've had this experience that you've, you've been to a website and you've looked at some deal and then you've closed the deal and then you get an email a few seconds later, um, we notice you've left the deal behind. We'd like to offer you 10% off. It's kind of very scary, isn't it, that, um, that people know exactly who you are and exactly where you've been. And you kind of get the impression that Balak thinks that Balaam's reluctance to pronounce a curse upon Israel is a kind of negotiating method. It's a, it's a desire to get some more money. He has, um, he's been hired to curse the people, and Balak assumes that he is just driving a hard bargain. And he keeps seeking to offer him more and more, including um, a whole palace full of silver and gold. Of course, um, in the first century, um, in the Old Testament, in the 21st century, um, there have been plenty of people who have been in it for the money, who have been in, in God's work for money. And of course, it gives those who are faithful servants of, of God a bad reputation. And... The assumption by Balak that Balaam was one of those people who was quite happy to have some money um, was really very disturbing. But Balak needs to be told by Balaam that he's limited in what he can do. He can't just um, make up a curse. So there in verses 5 and 6... And we're told that um, Balaam knew that his authority was limited. Um, Here, Balak says, this people are covering the earth and I want you to curse them because I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. I know you can do it. I know you've got the power to bless people. I know you've got the power to curse people. But Balaam wants to uh, make it plain that he is limited in what he can do. God came to him, we're told in verse 9, and asked, why are these men with you? And Balaam explains to God why the men are with him. And then God says in verse 12, but God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. Now, if we're familiar with the, with the Old Testament, the great promise, the great promise that began the whole history of the people of Israel, the great promise to Abraham, Genesis 12, 3, is that God would bless Abraham and that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That those who blessed Abraham would be blessed and those who cursed Abraham would be cursed. So it's kind of building on this kind of idea now, you can't curse this people because they're under the blessing of God. It just won't work. Whatever you say, whatever you do, you can't do it. God controls human destiny. If a person is going to be blessed or if a person is not going to be blessed, it's by God's determining. There's no independent power to issue such statements in the world. 
So, Balaam is being taught by God that he's not to move one inch from what God says. That's what a prophet does. A prophet, or a preacher in New Testament terms, doesn't move an inch from what God has said. And, and that's what's, um, what's being told us here. God said to him, do not go with them, verse 12. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. Uh, the next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's princes, go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. As I said, Balak thought this was a kind of negotiating ploy, that actually he needed more money. I will reward you handsomely if you come with me. If you need a bit more to get the job done, we can find a little bit more to help you. Do only what I tell you. Um, that's, the, that's the message. And we see that message um, again, verses 18 and 19. I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord, my God. Now stay here tonight as the others did and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. Now some suggest that that kind of comment, um, stay the night and we'll see what else the Lord will tell me, is maybe Balaam thinking, well, after that offer of a palace full of silver and gold, maybe God might have a different kind of message. Maybe God's going to say to me, Balaam, with that kind of offer, I've changed my mind. Curse them. There's a kind of determination not to move an inch from God's word, but also maybe just a little hope that God might change his mind. I wonder if we've ever been in a situation where we're pretty sure what God wants, but we pray that God might change his mind because we don't want what God wants. And then the rest of the story is learning to see what God wants us to see. And this story of Balaam setting out, um, riding his donkey with his two servants. What a remarkable story it is. What an unusual story it is. Three times the donkey um, stops on the journey unexpectedly and Balaam um, ends up in a field. He ends up being brushed against a wall and crushing his feet, foot. And each time uh, the, the donkey stops, um, Balaam beats the donkey. Uh, the donkey can see something, but Balaam can't see anything. The angel of the Lord stood in the road with a sword drawn. The donkey could see the angel and the sword and wasn't stupid enough to walk straight into the angel and the sword. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, that, that animals sometimes have an instinct for, for danger, for trouble, that human beings don't always recognize. Um, they, 
they say, don't they, that um, maybe if there is a kind of a storm or a tsunami or something, that the animals begin to behave in a different way. They, um, they begin to, to realize that something dreadful is happening and they, that, that they, they take precautions in order to protect themselves. Sometimes there's an instinct that animals have that humans don't have. They seem to be able to sense things that human beings don't sense. Now, if that's what's going on here, maybe it is. Here we have um, the donkey recognizes and there is danger. Being aware that there is this danger with the angel and the drawn sword and Balaam doesn't see it. Um, maybe Balaam just had dollar signs in his eyes and, and for that reason he couldn't see what was in front of him. In, um, in 2020, there's a lot of different groups that are talking about the importance of 2020 vision. It's kind of an interesting kind of play on, on that term, seeing clearly. And 2020 vision is really important, isn't it, in, in life to be able to see clearly. Um, either we, we've got it or we get glasses to enable us to see clearly so that everything is not fuzzy but clear in front of us. Balaam was not seeing with 2020 vision. He was not seeing a whole realm that was before him. He was a prophet, he was a seer, but the seer was not seeing. So the donkey, the dullest of animals, sees what the prophet can't see. Donkey is disturbed, stops. All that Balaam can think is that this donkey is simply um, delaying his journey and he beats the donkey again and again and again. It is an unusual story, almost a slapstick story. Reminds me of a cartoon that um, um, I've recently um, seen. Uh, the cartoon of Shrek and the talking donkey. Of course, um, it's not what you expect, is it? And of course, we need to remember that there are only two talking creatures other than human beings recorded in the Bible, the snake and the donkey. And of course, they're not suggesting that, um, that animals, generally speaking, talk. What a freaky thing that would be, um, particularly going on the downs. It's bad enough having dogs jump up on you and make you muddy. If they, they start having a conversation with you, that would be very scary. It's an extraordinary story. And, and what an extraordinary Conversation. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. What have I done to you to make you beat me three times? Balaam answered the donkey. And this is the really weird thing, isn't it? I am talking to a donkey. You have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. Donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to, to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said, actually, um, now you come to mention it, you haven't. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed down and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. 
The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, I would have certainly have killed you by now and I would have spared her. Lord, I have sinned. Did not realize that you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you are displeased, I will go back. Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. The seer sees. And of course, that's the thing, isn't it? That's the, that's the point of, of the story, and it's the point of human life, seeing what God sees. Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians 1 that the eyes of their heart might be opened, they might be able to see clearly, that they might have wisdom. Clarity of vision is so important in God's people that we see what God wants us to see. This is perhaps a clue to the mystery, someone writes. Whereas men, as a rule, see only what they expect to see and little more, the animals, innocent of expectation, see what is there. Next time the old mare looks up from her browsing and lets fly with an exultant whinny at the empty horizon, we might do well to consider at least the possibility that the horizon may not be as empty as we think. We need to be ready to, to hear and to see what God is saying and what God is showing. Speak only what I am saying. And then when he does begin to speak, and we'll look at this next week, his first speech says this, how can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? Balaam has learned his lesson. He needs to only say what God wants him to say. He needs to communicate what God puts in his mouth. See, I love the little story about C.H. Spurgeon. C.H. Spurgeon um, had a false tooth um, inserted in his mouth um, later on in his life. He stood up in the Metropolitan Tabernacle pulpit and he said to the congregation, this is the first false thing that has been in my mouth. What a great statement. Speaking only what God wants him to say. So as we, as we pray for God's direction as a church in these coming days, we need to pray that we might hear what God is saying and see what God is showing. So we conclude with a prayer. God of grace and God of glory, help us to keep an open mind on the way you speak and work not boxing you in, not cutting myself off from the surprises of the spirit that you constantly bring into this world. Amen. Amen.